Hello again, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of Fantasy Warfare Tournament. I'm your host, Sean, and I'll be joined by Chris Maloney and Chris Jones in just a moment. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at the greatest performers of WWE, or WWF, should we say, in the 80s that never won the title, thanks to Hogan having it for three-plus years. 16 guys are uh, entered. Some of you may agree with being in there. Uh, and should have had the title. Some you might not, but we'll see how it all shakes out. And we start with our uh, panel with Chris Maloney of CWN. How are you? I'm good. I finally made my first pick. So if you uh, if you saw me coming on air, that's that's what I was doing. So circling my first pick. So I'm good. Busy, but good. Yeah, um, kind of busy as well. Today was actually my tenth anniversary at my current uh, place of work. So they had a celebration for me. So. It was a relaxing day, but busy. Did you have cake? Yes. Actually, no. We had apple crisp. Ah, even better. Over cake. Jonesy, you're in Niagara Falls and still just a circle uh, due to technical issues, but how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, What does me and John Zena have in common right now? We can't see you. That's correct. See, and that's why people need to try and defeat me when we go back to the game show. You have uh, crazy questions like that. Uh, so, guys, uh, what do you think about uh, tonight's uh, tournament? And uh, any hard – well, I actually should show the video of what we're going to go through first, and then, Chris Maloney, you can break it down. Then we'll find out what your thoughts are. So we'll be back in just a second. So yeah, that is our video with what our matchups are for this evening. But I'm going to bring up the bracket, and Chris Mello, you want to break it down for us? Yeah, I can do that. It's it's interesting when I was watching that video, though. It's um, some of the guys are faces and heels, and which character do you choose that would have been better off as champion? But uh, and uh, anyways, there's a bracket right there. So you got Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff taking on Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, both Heenan guys. Uh, Junkyard Dog taking on Rowdy Roddy Piper. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat taking on Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine taking on the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, Tito Santana, Ravishing Rick Rude going at it. Dusty Rhodes, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. 
uh, George the Animal Steel and King Harley Race, and then Jake the Snake Roberts and Don the original Rock Morocco. So it's going to be an interesting field here. Yeah, so Jonesy, before we get uh, started, anything uh, popping up that uh, would be interesting or difficult uh, for you to uh, figure out? So what the fuck is Duggan doing on this list? Well, I know there's a couple that uh, I questioned as well, but I saw this picture that inspired me uh, to do it. Uh, this uh, one, I'll just quickly pop it up. It appeared on Facebook, and it had the 16. Instead of uh, going through and trying to find other guys, I know there's guys like maybe Beefcake, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Boss Man. You know, those guys could have uh, had it. Uh if you want to go lower with tugboat, but you know, earthquake, there's so many guys. Man would have been a better pick though. Don't you think than Duggan? Yeah. Well, blame the person who inspired my thought on it and created that picture. I will. That allows us to do another one, another time with those guys that I just mentioned, even a guy like Akeem, one man gang, he could be in there. You never know. So, other than your thoughts on Duggan, <laughs> uh, anything else pop up to you? I, I only kind of this uh, made a choice in the first round, but I think I'm going to be switching um, my decisions around because a lot of these are actually hard uh, once you kind of dive into them because, I mean, the guy, JYD and Piper, I mean, you want to go with the obvious choice of Piper, but when you look at JYD, he's a big freaking guy, and he looked like he could have done one hell of a job as a major heel or a good guy champion. Like, and uh, I believe uh, Watts did that in uh, the yeah. uh, UWF mid. So, when you're looking at it as in in WWF, they wouldn't have had a black champion back then. And then Chris Maloney, before uh, we dive in, anything pop up to you? This is a dual show. I didn't know we're doing wrestling uh, wrestling trivia as well. Yeah, I hit the wrong one. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it is interesting because you, you talk about the JYD, but there, there's a lot of reference to a lot of guys out there on the scene right now. Uh, you know, uh, as far as uh, guys like Willie Mack, mind me a lot of JYD. Um, and then a uh, guy like Big E, even, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I know who I'm picking there, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tight for a lot of these. Yep. So we're, um, I know I got my first round figured out, but it'll be seeing what, uh, it goes forward with. I'm not sure who's going to make it to the finals. Um, definitely looking to do another one, uh, in the new year with, a different arrangement of guys. Maybe a couple of these uh, survive and uh, go back in. But uh, we're starting off with round one, match number one, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff against Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. As uh, Chris Maloney pointed out earlier, uh, both were uh, managed by uh, Bobby Heenan. So we'll uh, see how it goes down. Paul Orndorff was born October 29th, 1949, Six uh, feet tall, 252 pounds, debuted in 1976 and retired officially in the year 2000. He was uh, trained by Hiro Matsuda, Bob Backlund, Eddie Graham, and Jack Briscoe. So uh, some of the uh, things that he accolades he received, 
Cauliflower Alley Club in 2016, WD Hall of Fame in 2005, the uh, Luthez Hall of Fame in 2017, NWA Hall of Fame in 2009, PWI Feud of the Year in 1986 against Hulk Hogan, Match of the Year in 1985, WrestleMania 1 main event, Most Hated in 1986, Number 38 in PWI 500 in 1993. As far as titles went, he was an AWF uh, champion one time, Georgia Championship Wrestling National uh, Champion for the NWA three times, National Wrestling uh, League Tag Champion one time, UWF uh, Southern States one time, WCW TV Champion one time, NWA WCW uh, Tag Team Champion three times, twice with Jimmy Superfly Snuka and once with Pretty Paul Roma as part of Pretty Wonderful. Then he, when we look at some of the things he did in WWE or WWF at the time and uh, challenging Hogan and stuff like that, he joined WWF in 1983. As I said, he main evented WrestleMania 1 against Hulk Hogan, teaming with Roddy Piper, they go against Hogan and Mr. T. He uh, turned on Hogan in 1986, which led to the main event of the big event happened in Toronto at the CNE. And he last appeared uh, in the main event of Survivor Series 1987, a part of Hulk Hogan's uh, team in the main event. Um, things had uh, gone sour with Bobby Brain Heenan. He brought in Ravishing Rick Rude and. Obviously, the two personalities were not going to gel well in the Heenan family, and he turned face and eventually left and joined WCW. He had a lot of uh, attempts at the uh, WWF title from Hogan, but was never successful. Then, on the other side of things, another guy who uh, was managed by Bobby Heenan had uh, attempts at Hogan uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and that's Kurt Hennig. Born March 28th, uh, 1958, died February 10th, 2003, at the age of 44. Uh, he was 6'3", 257 pounds, debuted in 1980, and was trained by Vern Gagne and his father, Larry the Axe Hennig. So some of his accolades include a Luthez Hall of Fame in 2007, WD Hall of Fame in 2007 as well. I was there for uh, that at the Fox Theater in uh, Detroit. Uh, part of WrestleMania 23 weekend, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2015, PWI Most Improved 1987, PWI Number 9 in 1993 of their 500 list, Number 55 in the PWI years uh, in 2003, and Number 98 in uh, PWI 100 Tag Teams of 2003. Titles he held, he got the AWA uh, world title one time. A tag team uh, champion uh, there in the AWA was Scott Hall. Uh, future of wrestling champ one time. I generation champion two times. Main, uh, uh, main event uh, championship wrestling one time. Pacific Northwest uh, wrestling. NWA uh, Pac Northwest uh, champion one time. Uh, NWA uh, Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champion three times. So in WDF, uh, he'd been there early in 81 to 83, 
but then left and went back to the AWA. He won the AWA title there, uh, defeating Nick Bockwinkle in 87. He returned back to the WWF in 88 as Mr. Perfect and was then managed by uh, Bobby Heenan. Eventually was uh, managed by John Tolos, but that didn't last long. Uh, he remained undefeated uh, in WWF until WrestleMania 6 when he lost to Brutus Beefcake, of all people, in Toronto. Um, his vignettes to come in, he was a multi-sport perfectionist uh, doing all those uh, vignettes, including uh, one with Wade Boggs, who ended up inducting him into the WWF Hall of Fame. Um, he feuded with Hogan in 98, or sorry, in 89 and 90, including taking the WWF championship with uh, Lanny Poffo and destroying it backstage during uh, Saturday night's main event. He was one of the last guys standing when Hogan won the uh, Royal Rumble in 1990, but never got the title. After losing uh, to Beefcake in uh, WrestleMania 6, there was an Intercontinental title tournament, which he won his first title there, defeating Tito Santana. He'd go on to win it one more time, but that's all he basically did, uh, getting close to that world title, especially with Hogan around. Looking at these two, I think Orndorff had the better shot at uh, getting the title away from Hogan and more opportunities and was selling out. Uh, didn't really uh, have the same effect with uh, Kurt Hennig. It kind of fell flat if you listen to uh, something to wrestle with. So I guess in this case, I'm going to go with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff as much as I uh, would love to have seen Mr. Perfect with the title. Chris Maloney. Thumbs down to that. We're one and one so far. So Joan's going to be the tiebreaker here. But um, I tell you this, this was the toughest one that I saw as far as this list went. And when I think about it, you think about their runs against Hulk Hogan and the WWE. So the fact is you had Orndorff, and I mentioned this on this show uh, with regards to that cage match that he had against Hogan. Saturday Night's main event, they're both coming down, the feet are touching the floor. I think it was Jesse the Body on commentary, and he made it sound like Orndorff uh, was a legit contender. You know what I mean? Any given moment, he could have basically won the title. He had the big event, obviously the CNE in Toronto. But beyond that, Orndorff, you know, the and I said this on the show before as well, the way that he had turned heel against Hogan wasn't the greatest. I mean, you look at it in 2020, it's, uh, oh no, you know, he got hit in the eye, so to speak. So in saying that, his selling wasn't the greatest. His his promos weren't the greatest. He was kind of one-dimensional. When you got the other side of things, you got Mr. Perfect Kurt Hedig. Uh, here's a guy who I'd followed from the AWA. I remember him fighting Jerry Lawler, uh, you know, uh, Bockwinkle, all those guys back then, and all of a sudden coming into WWE. And he wasn't Mr. Perfect when he came in. He still had the blue tights. He was still remembered tagging with big Scott Hall over in the AWA, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they put him with Heenan. They need somebody to take the IC title. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the Mr. Perfect character is born. And it's all the uh, uh, vignettes, so to speak, that went along with it. It was the attitude. It was the cockiness. Here's a guy who, when you put him up against Hulk Hogan, looked small. Orndorff, very similar. But for whatever reason, Mr. Perfect was always tied into guys like the, the Intercontinental title scene, guys like Brett the Hitman Hart, guys like that, you know. So the fact is, when Hennig had uh, taken on the genius as his manager, 
and started going up against Hogan. And you're you're right that that flashback moment about him destroying the title backstage. I was like, man, this this is real stuff. You know what I mean? And you know, wrestling wasn't on friggin' five times a week. It was, oh my god, what's what the heck's going to happen next? I got to wait for WWE superstars on the following Saturday or wrestling challengers. You know, whatever the case may be. But selling point wise, to me, it's going to be Mister Perfect. Uh, Orndorff had the skill, had the abilities, the same way Mister Perfect did. The fact is, Mr. Perfect had that charisma. So if they had to put that title on him, for sure, I would have uh, it would have been sold to me as a kid. So, uh, like I said, Jones is going to be the tiebreaker in this one. Jonesy, you there you go. Um, <laughs> had my mic had my mic on mute. Um, so I already gave who I was gonna, but now I have to say it all over again. Um, when you look at it. I'm going, do I look at it as in this is WWF? So immediately it's Orn Dwarf. You'd pick Orn Dwarf if it's going by WWF rules of how they look at a superstar and all that other stuff. And the fact that Orn Dwarf had a lot more big matches than Kurt Henning did in the WWF. Uh, Orn Dwarf was like, just below Hulk Hogan when I was a kid. He was like, when he was good, it was great, but he he's, he was better as a bad guy. Um, both of these guys were basically Jeff Goldblum's of the wrestling world. Um, Mr. Perfect, once he went over to WCW, he was still Mr. Perfect. And same with thing with Orn Dwarf, whether he was bad or good, he was pretty much the same dry character so it's what do you want you want a dry drier um more office type champion like orndorf or do you go with henning who is much better on a microphone yes has more charisma but he was always below brett he was always below brett he was just, just as good as brett but he was always always down there for me, I look at it as if I had to fight one of these guys, which one would I be more afraid to fight? And that and that would be Orndorff. Henning, I would get like a, a wrestling schooled, but I don't think I'd die where I think Orndorff could just snap me like a twig. And actually, I was quite surprised that I didn't realize that Henning was actually the taller one because Orndorff seemed bigger than, than Henning. But... Uh, not so. And one last thing before I give my uh, 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 my final blow to Maloney. Um, Slim Jim, uh, the Slim Jim Challenge in 95, Orndorff won. So I think with that, that, that little slim, little extra tidbit there, um, uh, I, I got to go with Orndorff. Yeah, that was the uh, kind of interesting thing. Uh, when I did my original uh, list for first rounders, I actually talked myself just out of uh, voting for Kurt. I had Hennig picked, but just uh, thinking of uh, how the main event, or sorry, the big event in C&E uh, and how close Orndorff got so many times compared to Hennig, that's why I went Orndorff. But yeah, so... Uh, Hennig, unfortunately, is out. Orndorff is moving on. 
And it brings us to our second matchup. The Junkyard Dog taking on Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Chris Maloney, you want to start this? Well, that kind of sucked, I tell you that much. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I didn't realize you are going Stat City, so I had to uh, bring up the stats for the JYD and Rowdy, Rowdy Piper beyond what I, I already know. So um, tell you this. So Junkyard Dog unfortunately died at the age of 45 years old. Uh, very young uh, as far as a wrestling career went. Um, uh, the cool thing about JYD is when you look at him, um, you know, he was able to, and, and you guys talked about this, the size of him, 6'3", 280 pounds. And this was a guy wrestling back in the uh, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, so basically, when you go into his Wikipedia, it talks about uh, him be, be able to slam guys like the One Man Gang, Kamala, King Kong, Bundy, uh, and, you know, no problem at all. But um uh, early career was 76 through 80. Uh, NWA Mid-South was with Bill Watts, 80 to 84. WWF was only 84 to 88. So four-year spans for every single one of these. The last one that he had actually done before he went Indies for a year was uh, WCW NWA, and that was 88 through 93. So that was only five years. The thing about the Junkyard Dog, though, was the impact that he had as far as the wrestling business as a whole went. I mean, I think he was one of the guys, part of that Shockmaster deal, wasn't he? Or am I making that up? He was he was he, was he was he part of the the Shockmaster gimmick? No. Okay, so he wasn't, but he was around at that time, though. Might have been, but uh, that was uh, was Sting and British Bulldog. Oh yeah, okay, and then Sid, I think, I think Sid was and maybe Sid. the other guy, but it was it was around that time. So JYD was always around those big moments. Uh, King Harley Race, obviously WrestleMania three. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that you know, if I, I don't even think because he was babyface, I think the whole time he was WWE. So the fact is, him and Hogan would have never went at it. They, I think, they had tagged. Because I remember Hulk Hogan doing the whole JYD gimmick. I think it might have been Saturday Night's main event. Um, but the fact is, to me, JYD, as big as he was, unfortunately, was nothing more than a gimmick. And because he was babyface, and because of the years that I had mentioned between 84 and 88, um, it was always Hogan territory. You know what I mean? So he had no chance at all, unless they had turned him heel. But how do you turn a guy as popular as the JYD? And there's other guys in this tournament very is very similar that popularity wise um, but the fact is jyd to me was nothing more than a gimmick because he was a baby face the other side of things you got rowdy rowdy piper who basically was one of the greatest heels and being able to be part of that first wrestlemania ever going on to wrestlemania 2 boxing mr t wrestlemania 3 adrian adonis ninety three thousand people you know the barber Brutus Beefcake gets his gimmick, you know, basically enshrined at WrestleMania 3. But Piper was basically as big or not even bigger than Hulk Hogan for those three years. Obviously, he goes Hollywood, but he comes back WrestleMania 5 and does the whole Morton Downey uh, Jr. gimmick. WrestleMania 6, Bad News Brown. WrestleMania 7 was... Did he fight at 7? No, he was out because of his motorcycle accident and in the corner of Virgil. Oh, yeah. Uh, WrestleMania 8, Bret Hart. Uh, WrestleMania 12, Gold Dust. You know what I mean? And it goes on and on and on and on. Um, won the Intercontinental Championship, obviously, off of the Mountie at the uh, the Royal Rumble, I think it was. Um, wins the Tag Team Championship with Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, and this was basically when he, I think he was in his 50s. So the two guys, you know, sitting there, iconic as they were for the NWA and uh, Mid-South and everything else, 
The fact is, Piper had a, a legacy and a legend behind him before he even landed WWE. Um, and then he went to WCW. He made the best of it, returned to WWE. But the fact is, when it comes down to it, Piper would have sold better as a heel champion, not a babyface, but as a heel champion than the JYD had the opportunity to. So in saying that, if we're talking straight up WWE, uh, you know, WWF, it's hands down Piper just for the legacy that he had because JYD, like I said, within those four years, never stood a chance to, I mean, that's, that's Hogan territory right now. It's, it's unfortunate. Well, that, that, that is tough to argue. Um, see with JYD, I, I do view him as looking more like a champion than Piper. Um, I can see Piper having the belt more than JYD, but um, I'll, I'll be straight. I mean, he at that at the time they didn't. There was no black champion. Would have been as good for them to have. For me, it would have legitimized wrestling a little more if they had more than just white guys winning. So for me in that aspect, I think he gets that advantage. Um, and I think he be, would have been great as a heel. And they could have turned him a heel. And again, not to be an ass, but he's black. He can carry out looking mean easy because of the way that he looks. Piper looks mean, but which would you would, were you more scared of and which one would be more legitimizing to you? I think it'd be JYD. Um, and I mean, the guy was more entertaining to me in the ring as far as wrestling than Piper was. Uh, Piper has everything else as, as, as far as I'm concerned. But as far as looks and, and that as, as a, of a champion, JYD, he had a great body. He could move. He was great with fans. But again, if he didn't open his mouth and just did the wrestling and came down, you would have thought he was a bad guy. And definitely Piper, I, to me, I think he was better as a bad guy. But his legacy, because he was turned into a good guy, cemented his legacy um again in the wwe world though unfortunately it would have been piper and the fact of he as i said he was boring in the ring as a wrestler um but so was hogan <laughs> and so i want to say jyd but i have to go with piper only because piper does fit it more as far as having everything except he didn't have the body like the other guy, like JYD did. And JYD had more height and a hell of a lot more weight. Um, and, and he was actually two years younger, JYD was. Uh, the last thing on it, uh, Piper to me was the Bobcat Goldthway of, of wrestling, the way he talked. And on a microphone, he was like a Bubba Dugley on a mic. So, um, uh, God bless JYD, but Piper. Well, this is our first 3-0 and sweep. Um, JYD in a different time, even like four years earlier, uh, could have been a champion potentially. But by the time he went to Vince... There was a lot of 
uh, outside issues, personal issues uh, with uh, demons. He was definitely not in the same shape as he was when he was top babyface uh, in uh, Watts's territory. If you listen to uh, some of uh, Jr., whether it was his uh, first book or especially his first book, but uh, Slobberknocker or uh, his podcast. He did talk about JYD and how things went downhill, unfortunately, for him by the time he went to Vince. Uh, and he walked out on uh, Bill Watts for the money. Uh, Piper, he had a big feud with Hogan, but Piper's, I guess, ego in a way wouldn't allow himself to job out uh, to Hogan uh, and just be another uh, st- uh, statistic. Uh, to Hogan's uh, whole win-loss thing and who he uh, took out. So that's one of the reasons why Piper was probably away from the title after his uh, one big feud, but he also did the uh, tag team stuff. Like They kept him away because those two could not agree to work together well and not be... Uh, squash like Hogan does to a lot of his opponents. Look at what happened with uh, Hogan and Shawn Michaels in 2005. They couldn't even agree to do a uh, best 203 because uh, Hogan backed out after the first one. So Piper was smart in that regards, but looking at both their careers, I would love to have seen Piper uh, get that uh, title, and that's why it's a 3-0 and uh, victory there. Moving on to matchup number three. Hold on. I, I got to make reference to one thing. Uh, that match at SummerSlam between Hogan and Michaels, that uh, boot that Hogan gave to Michaels, holy crap. Guys, you want to see something that's comical in wrestling, but at the same time says F you to Hogan? Look up, look that up. That's uh, to me, iconic. Michaels oversold for a specific reason because of that backstage heat that they had. Uh, I believe uh, Bruce Pritchard covers that on something to wrestle, and it was interesting, uh, the background to that. But matchup number three has Ricky the Dragon Steamboat taking on the Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. Jonesy? Well, both these guys, I mean, they both had um, uh, many championships that they've won in NWA and all that. So I'll do some of those statistics, but Without looking at their stats, if you ever seen Steamboat or Snuka, they're they're both legends. Um, Steamboat, uh, born Richard Henry Blood Senior, uh, he was um, born in fifty three. Uh, he had five marriages, uh, five foot ten and uh, two hundred and thirty five pounds. Uh, he was trained by Vern Gagne and Iron Sheik. So holy crap, right there. Um, and he wrestled from 76 to 94, and then he did a few matches um, afterwards. Uh, tons of freaking belts. NWA, um, Champ Once, PWI, Match of the Year, etc. So, I mean, he, he won the big one in WCW once he left WWF. So, he... To me, that's all. That's almost as good as a WWF belt, if not better. Really, when you think about the wrestling that they had at that time in NWA compared to the WWF, 
I thought at that time, WCW had much better wrestlers than WWF did. Um, but anyways, uh, and uh, I'm just, oh, okay, that's other notes. So down the snooker, um, uh, he, I, he was a heel for many years, and then he turned uh, good, and I think it was a Hogan match or something that he turned good. Um, he looked dirty and strong, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, as like a savage with his hair all crazy and what he wore. Um, he played himself more as a big man than he actually was. Um, he was born in 43. He had two marriages, uh, five foot to 10. So he, both of them are the same height. Uh, both of them are 235 pounds. Uh, Snuka was uh, billed from the uh, Fiji Islands. He, trained, he was trained by Danny Hodge, and uh, who I'm not sure who that was. I didn't have time to look up. Uh, lots of belts in the NWA and PWI. Uh, I've seen... I think I seen both these guys steamboat. I can't be hundred percent sure, but I know Snuka. I, I did. Uh, the fact that was maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, seeing him at Centennial hall when they had wrestling there and he was, uh, there. And I want to say he was in a cage match. Um, cause I know they had cage matches that night. Anyways, uh, steamboat's an amazing wrestler. And I mean, I have a picture of him at the loving gardens blowing the fire. Uh, he had that huge feud with Flair. Uh, I mean, if you go in with, with wrestling and, and charisma, I think Steamboat wins that, though charisma is close with Snuka. Um, but Snuka looks more like a champ. I, I, I boiled that down to, I mean, both of them are, 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 are good wrestlers. Um, I'm ignoring the fact of Snooka's bad legacy. I'm just going by the wrestling. Um, so for me, I'm going with Snooka because he played himself as a bigger guy, and I could see him being more of a WWF champion than seeing uh, Ricky the Dragon at that time that they were there. So for me, it's Snooka. Well, it looks like uh, Chris Maloney is going to be the tiebreaker here because – in my case, I was never impressed with Jimmy Superfly Snuka when he uh, got. I didn't see him before he was brought back at, I believe it was WrestleMania five. Um, I was just like, oh, okay, what do you do? Um, then he got squashed by Undertaker in uh, the starting of the streak at uh, WrestleMania seven, and yeah, just he never really caught on to me. Of course. People who listen to either Scumbags Wrestling Podcast or have uh, followed us on this uh, format here with the Fantasy Warfare Tournament know that Savage is my guy uh, that got me started. But who was on the other side of that? Ricky the Dragon Steamboat uh, getting his uh, neck broken with the ring bell. Uh, they had the greatest match that people thought of uh, for the longest time at WrestleMania three against each other for the Intercontinental title. The hour-long matches that they went broadways with and traded the title back and forth with Ric Flair uh, are amazing just to go back and watch them as standalones. You don't have to watch the rest of the event. You could just watch that hour 
of them. Steamboat's worst opponent or toughest opponent, I guess, to a certain extent, was his own wife, Bonnie. Because if Steamboat had not been listening to her, he would have stayed around in WWF longer. He would have stayed around in WCW longer. But every time that she started uh, saying that, oh, you need to be doing better for yourself, or you need to spend time with the family, you need this, you need that, he went, okay, okay. And uh, being the family guy, which I'm not uh, knocking him totally on that one, but she basically called the shots and he would walk away from whatever territory. Now, we talked about the fact that uh, he was the Intercontinental Champion for a very short time, and that was because of Bonnie saying to go away. After having an amazing match with Savage, that Intercontinental title was basically the working man's belt. Hogan would be the mid-card of your local house show so that he could do his thing, get the heck out of there, and move on to the next town, while the, either the tag team title or the Intercontinental title were your main events because that was the better matchup for the whole thing. So uh, any guy who wore the Intercontinental title might as well have been a world champion at that point anyways, except for the Hogan factor where Hogan must pose. Hogan is our uh, money grab, and S Savage and Steamboat put on that amazing show. And so I would uh, go with Steamboat over Snuka any day between them. Chris Maloney. You notice how Sean got that Macho Man reference in there easily? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's a guy who is... Uh... And I think he's offended that I, 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 I voted for Snuka. <laughs> yeah, well... So I got to add some fire in this show occasionally <laughs> every once in a while. So uh, I've got a few stats before I go into my pick here. So uh, I'll tell you this. Jones and I have been at two of the same events... Uh, not necessarily sitting together, but uh, those both th those events that he mentioned, WWF London, Ontario, London Garden, September 8th, 1991. Matinee featured Ricky the Dragon Steamboat defeating Skinner in the opener. I was there for that too. I remember him breathing the fire, and you see that on TV. And then next thing you know, he had to take like a, I think a minute break because whatever was in his mouth, he had to rinse it out with water or whatever the case may be. So it was kind of interesting to see. The other thing that Jones had mentioned, uh, HWF Rage in the Cage. Uh, July 24th, 1999. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Superfly Snook, I was there as well. And I waited for a, probably a good half hour to try to get his autograph. And uh, the independent wrestlers kept lying to me. Oh, yeah, we'll send him out. We'll send him out. Guess what? He never came out. So anyways, I'll leave it at that. But um, in saying the two of these guys' names, I'll say this. So you got uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I'll say these names in order. Greg DeHammer Valentine, Tito Santana, Randy Macho Man Savage, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the Honky Tonk Man, the Ultimate Warrior, Ravishing Rick Rude. Okay, so what don't you see in there? The name Jimmy Superfly Snuka. He never won a title in the WWF. As much as he was loyal, as much as he was a uh, mainstay, and as much as he got to rub for WrestleMania 1 when he was in the corner of Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, the fact is the, and I was, I'm, I'm going to say this, the political aspect of his life I think had something to do with why they wouldn't put a championship on him. Here's a guy who big time moment with magnificent Morocco, Madison square garden coming off that cage. Mick Foley will basically sit there and tell you that's the reason that's the moment he truly became a wrestling fan. 
And don't get me wrong, he was iconic. I mean, when Superfly came out, like my dad used to love him as a kid. So anytime Superfly was on TV, I'd be watching him with my dad, you know. Um, watching him jump off the top of Andre the Giant onto an opponent, you know, that was absolutely cool as well. But the fact is, because of the political side of things, he could never, ever uh, have a championship on him or else they would have put it on him. And maybe there was issues with Vince McMahon. I don't know what the case was, but the fact is he was, you know, everybody loved him. Every kid loved him. Every adult loved him. They, they loved what he could do in the ring. Then you had basically Ricky the Dragon Steamboat goes on to the NWA, wins the World Heavyweight Championship against Ric Flair, but can only win the IC title in um, the WWE. Fact is, when it comes down to it, um, they never let him carry it too long, um, too far. Uh, you know, the aspect of the choreographed match with Macho Man, George the Animal Steel in his corner, that whole thing with Macho Man, Elizabeth, everything else. Honky Tonk Man beating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat to win the title off of him. And then, you know, Dragon comes back, but he comes back as a gimmick. And he's basically, I hate to say this, but nice guys finish last. And um, I'm going to say this. You talk about first match, you changing your mind there, Sean. Originally, I had Steamboat picked. But come down to think about it, if the politics weren't involved, who could have carried that championship better in the WWE? Snuka. So I got to go Snuka. Here we go. See, that's the that's uh, interesting part with this when we uh, are actually able to sit down and hear the other side of things and what other people's point of views, it does uh, end up getting you changed. That's two uh, in just the first three matches that I know I've changed for uh, my uh, point of view and yeah, uh, who knows what else is going to happen in the rest of this tournament. Match number four, Greg the Hammer Valentine taking on the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Greg the Hammer Valentine, born uh, September 20th, 1951. He's currently 69 years of age, 6 feet tall, 243 pounds, debuted in 1970, and it's still active. People who have just recently seen him in the audience uh, of AEW on Dynamite when Cody and Brody Lee had their uh, dog collar match and uh, did it in honor of uh, Piper and Valentine's uh, historic uh, dog collar match they had over 30 years ago. He was uh, trained by Ed Farhat and Stu Hart. I uh, held a whole lot of titles, including the Alabama Wrestling Fed uh, Champion, uh, one-time tag team titles with uh, Brutus Beefcake there. Hey, excuse me. AWA Midwestern uh, Tag Team Champion two times with Jerry Miller. AWF Tag Team t uh, Champion one time with Tommy Rich. Bad Boys of Wrestling Champion one time. Uh, Maple Leaf. Wrestling NWA cha uh, Canadian champion one time, and then Mid Atlantic uh, Wrestling for NWA and WCW. He was there uh, a lot when he wasn't in WWF, and over there he had the NWA Mid Atlantic uh, title twice, Mid Atlantic Tag Team titles once with Ric Flair, NWA TV uh, title twice, NWA Mid Atlantic TV title twice. Uh, NWA U.S. title three times, NWA World Tag Team uh, Mid-Atlantic four times, 
NWA North American uh, champion two times, WWF Intercontinental champion one time, which happened right here in London, Ontario, winning it from Tito Santana, and WWF tag team uh, champion one time with Brutus Beefcake. He is a member of the Cauliflower Alley uh, Club, getting an award in 2018, Legends of Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2011, PWA Most Hated, Wrestler in 1975, 79, and 83. Number 49 in PWI 500 in 1992. Uh, 119 was his number for PWI uh, 2003 with the PWI years. WWF Hall of Fame in 2004. So he worked in WWF uh, in 1979 to, or 78 to 79. WWF from 81 to 82 and then returned again from 84 to 91. Uh, in between, as I said, he went to Mid-Atlantic. He was the Intercontinental Champion, as I said, here in uh, London. He won that from Tito in 84. WWF Tag Team title uh, they won in 85 with Beefcake and dropped it to the Bulldogs at Mania 2 in 86. Uh, he feuded with uh, Ronnie Garvin in 1990. And then all after that, teamed with the Honky Tonk Man as Rhythm and Blues, uh, 90 to 91. Unfortunately, they never won any tag team gold. Um, and he changed his whole look to be like a mixture of fat old Elvis and uh, Roy Orbison, uh, basically. Uh, and I think Jesse Ventura kept on calling him Boxcar. So that's Greg Valentine. Uh, not much of a impact should i say in uh wf um then we look over at ted dibiase born january 18th 1954 currently 66 years old six foot one 260 pounds debuted in 74 retired in 93 and was trained by dory funk jr and terry funk he's a member of the cauliflower alley club as well iron mike um mizuki or I can't pronounce the name, 2010 award, WWF Hall of Fame in 2010, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2007, PWI Most Hated in 82, number 17, PWI 591, and number 32, PWI 500, uh, 2003, the PWI years vote. Uh, titles, he w worked in all Japan and won the NWA uh, United uh North uh, title one time, PWF tag team two times with Stan Hansen, world tag team titles once with Hansen as well, championship carnival uh, 1980 with the uh, Technique Award, championship uh, carnival in 82 uh, with the outstanding performance. Continental uh, States NWA champion or Central States NWA champion two times, Dutch Pro Wrestling champ one time, Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, two times their champion, along with two tag team titles, NWA Tri States Mid South uh, Championship, and over in WWF WWE, he was the million dollar champion twice, created his own title because he couldn't get the belt away from Hogan and bought his own belt. 24-7 uh, champion just recently uh, with WWE. 
WF champ one time bought it, but it was never uh, acknowledged uh, officially in the records when Andre ended up handing it over to him. WF uh, North American champion one time, that was in his first original run uh, before coming in as the Million Dollar Man. WF uh, tag team champions three times with Erwin R. Scheister, and he won the King of the Ring in 1988 when he, he just returned back to uh, the WWF. So looking at these ones, for me, I have to go uh, with Teddy Biasi. Uh, as much as Greg the Hammer Valentine won a lot of uh, titles elsewhere, his WWF run was very mid-card and, well, tag team for that uh, regards. But Ted DiBiase found himself in the main event scene for uh, right off the bat almost when he first came in. Uh, he was that protagonist to uh, Hulk Hogan at the time. And then with everything he did to get that belt away from him, it made the win for Randy Savage at WrestleMania 4 mean a lot more because he uh, won it from a heel even if he did have the help from Hogan, uh, but he overcame Andre. But DiBiase uh, was that perfect heel in that position. Uh, so given the two, I'm going with uh, Ted DiBiase. Chris Maloney. DiBiase's going 2-0 at this point. It's, um, it's tough to put them against each other as basically – uh, old school wrestlers, because I think it'd be, you know, it, it's like Piper Valentine. You know what I mean? The stories that you hear about those two and uh, you know, the dog collar match was because of the fact that uh, I think Piper kept chasing Valentine. He couldn't get a hold of him. That was the whole basis of the dog collar match or something like that. But again, two gifted old school wrestlers, same thing with DiBiase and Valentine. The difference is 87, 88. You could basically light a flame off of DiBiase. He was he was that much on fire. Anything that he did with the vignettes, anything that he had done on the mic, um, Virgil being by his side, his associate with Andre the Giant, trying to buy the title, mm-hmm. WrestleMania four, the whole tournament. Uh, when it came down to the final match uh, between Savage and DiBiase at WrestleMania four, it could have went either way. And uh, you know, this was back in the days before WWE Network where you couldn't really watch it live unless you knew somebody with a satellite dish or you went to uh, go to a bar. And in my case, I was probably about 10, 11 years old, so it wasn't happening, you know. Um, fact is, when it comes down to it, DiBiase looked like a champion, sold himself like a champion, um, talked like a champion, and he was basically, in my eyes, the WWE version of Nature Boy Ric Flair. Uh, you know, the character that Vince McMahon created for him um, I tell you this, there's a lot of guys that try to replicate him. JBL was one of those guys who tried to replicate him. Um, Montel Vontavious Porter, MVP, to a point, tries to replicate a uh, million-dollar man, Ted Biasi. Alberto Del Rio. Alberto Del Rio, I, you know, another guy. So the fact is the um, what DiBiase did on his own, uh, you know, his legacy without that title – uh, it means something, it will always mean something. His theme music, the iconic laugh, uh, the fact he couldn't win the title, so he bought his own championship. Uh, yeah, you know, the the, the, the vign- uh, vignettes that went along with that, and all of a sudden they're in jewelry shops, and he's ready to reveal the title, and it finally comes, uh, I think it was the Brother of Love show, he finally comes out and reveals the title on. And then, so I'm saying all this as a fan, 
And I, I hated the guy as a kid because he was annoying, you know, but when you get older in life, it's like, holy crap, he did his job. He sold like a heel should have. And that's without the title. So I think they could have given the title easily and you would have had guys like Hogan chase him. You would have had guys like uh, Savage chase him. Um, you know, it's it would have been interesting. So, yeah, hands down, I got to go DiBiase. Valentine, as gifted as he was, <laughs> fortunately, I, I see him as a tag team wrestler. I see him as an IT, uh, IC champion. Uh, to me, the rhythm and blues thing kind of killed him. Uh, and he kind of went off the map when the, he was feuding with uh, rugged Ronnie Garden, uh, Garvin over the uh, the whole knee brace thing or whatever the hell that was. But uh, uh, DiBiase, legacy-wise, yes, WWF, yeah, it's got to go DiBiase. It's a sweet uh, team. Well, what I'll say about Valentine is when I think of matches and memorable matches, DiBiase doesn't come on my list. Uh, the most match that I can remember DiBiase being in that's semi-entertaining is the WrestleMania 5 match, but that's because of Macho Man and everything else that was going around. Uh, DiBiase had everything, but he never got the big one where he had tons more opportunity. I mean, hell, he bought he bought the damn thing and they wouldn't give it to him. Um I mean, my vote is for DiBiase just because it's hard to, like, if it was up to WWF, they would have gave it to DiBiase before they would have gave it to Valentine. So, but Valentine to me was the more entertaining one as far as in the ring. Um, I just liked his style. He looked like a bum. Uh, to me, he was kind of like a Harley race. Uh, he 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 was dry on a mic, but he was very good. Uh, I mean, of course, the dog collar match, uh, and rugged Ronnie Garvin. That match at at Royal Rumble ninety, I think it was, is just absolutely off the charts. It is so good of a match. Um, when people say, you know, Ricky Steamboat and Savage at WrestleMania three, I go. <laughs> Um, yes, it's a good match, but do I think it was one of the better matches at that time? No, 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 I don't. Um, when you, when you only go a couple of years over and you see a match like that, that's for nothing. It wasn't for a belt. It was, it was basically, I think it was an I quit, I quit match or, um, submission, uh, they had used the submission I think it was, but to me, I mean, I, I view wrestling a little different. I, I, I like the in-ring work that that Valentine did. And as far as looking at the two, if I looked at Valentine and I looked at DiBiase, I'd rather freaking take on DiBiase than Valentine. Valentine would rip your, my arms off like a freaking ape taking a banana. Uh, so my favoritism goes to Valentine, but DiBiase, I mean, hell, he was, he was featured in video game um him and andre were the finals that you had to beat so i mean he had a lot more i think going for him in like the magazine and everything you'd see more him over valentine so valentine to me also i gotta say one more thing i think he fit in wcw a lot better that was the style that he was doing more than wwf uh i never thought valentine fit in the wwf yeah, definitely a different uh, vibe, uh, cartoony. 
Uh, he's more of the uh, down and wrestling side. He's more, I, I would say, hey, like a B Malenko. <laughs> so our next matchup is Tito Santana taking on Ravishing Rick Rude, Chris Maloney. Interesting thing here is Santana debuted in 1977. He was in the WWE from 79 to 80 and then left. That I didn't know. So Santana went over to the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, then went to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, from So he was AWA 80 to 82, Georgia Championship Wrestling from 82, 83, and then basically came back to the WWE for the next 10 years, so 83 through 93. Um, past that... Had a small run, looks like 97 to 98 in the WWF. That I do not remember. And then apparently was uh, WCW in the year 2000. So some things I, I appear to have blocked it in my mind. But uh, when it comes to Santana, uh, one of the most gifted pure athletes in the ring. Um, when I started becoming a wrestling fan, it was him as IC champion against, uh, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Those guys there. Uh, you know, lots of charisma. Obviously, when you see a match with Tito and you had uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura on the mic, uh, Jesse was always making fun of Tito, but it's because he was so good. Uh, as where Monsoon was kind of putting him over as much as he could about all the uh, wrestling moves that Santana could actually accomplish. Furthermore, from there, he goes on and he was one dimensional to me at that point. Then all of a sudden, Strike Force happens. And it's like, holy crap, I can actually try to be a fan of Tito Santana at this point. But what happens is Strike Force breaks up, Martel goes on to the model gimmick, Santana kind of gets lost again. Then all of a sudden, he becomes El Matador. And to me, Santana was just that. He was one dimensional again. The other side of things, you've got a guy known as Ravishing Rick Rude, who I didn't know till today. His actual real name is Richard Rude, just spelled a little bit differently. So, uh, you know, it's uh, Rick Rude uh, through and through. But he was uh, born 58, uh, died apparently, or not apparently, but unfortunately at the age of 40 years old. Uh, you know, he um, only went by the names of Rick Rude, Ricky Rude, and the WCW Phantom, which I do not, uh, I do not. Um, kind of remember as well but uh, trained by eddie sharkey he was one of the minneapolis boys so when you talk about mr perfect kurt henning the road warriors uh smash of demolition those guys he grew up in that minneapolis um area he was um not awa though he was championship wrestling from florida uh wccw this is when the first time i, I got to see him um you know pro wrestling plus here in canada Guy, named, uh, guy known as Ed Whelan used to play these clips, and that's where I get to know who Ravishing Rick Rude was. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, 86-87. WWE, he was only there for three years, uh, basically uh, 87-90. to 90. Uh, Intercontinental Champion um, basically beats the Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania 5, I think it was. Heenan holds down that foot, that iconic moment. You know, Warrior ends up winning the back the title from him. But then all of a sudden, you get you get the ravishing Rick Rude character. Uh, guy was gifted on the mic, you know, abs of steel, so to speak. Bobby the Brain Heenan behind him. And then he's got that mullet going on, and he cuts the hair. And he comes back as this kind of uh, same kind of guy, but he's, you know, with no more gimmicks, so to speak. He's a lot meaner. He's a lot tougher. Warrior had just won the WWE Championship from Hulk Hogan. They go into that SummerSlam match, I think, at 90 and the steel cage and it's warrior versus ravager rick rude and it's a new rick rude you know what i mean i remember the wwf magazine and rick rude's 
on the beach and he's dressed in this, I think this um, gray gym suit or something like that, but he looks meaner. He looks tougher. He's got the haircut. He looks like he's basically ready to throttle the ultimate warrior and could take the title. And all of a sudden he gets in the ring and he's the same kind of ravishing Rick Rude. Who's, you know, spot monkey, so to speak, where all of a sudden he's flying up against the cage and this and that. But um, personality wise uh, between him and Tito Santana, it's going to be Rick Rude. Fact is he had Bobby Heenan behind him. He was gifted. Um, he had that personality, that charisma. And in saying this, he is the only guy in the history of wrestling to perform on Monday Night Raw and Monday Night Nitro at the exact same night. And guys, if you don't believe me, November 10th, 1997, Raw was still taping their shows. Rick Rude knew it was his last show and then appeared on Nitro. Almost as big as the Lex Luger moment. But to me, it was... Uh, yeah, it's Rick Rude, uh, Rick Rude through and through. But just again, based on personality, it's like it's like a DiBiase guy. Uh, easily, one of those guys could easily carry the company. So, yeah, Rick Rude's my pick. Jonesy. Um, so with Santana, um, Tully Blanchard was a quarterback for the West Texas State Buffaloes, um, uh, which Tito played for and uh, was his uh, link to pro wrestling. So that's how he got into pro wrestling. Uh, he played one year with the BC Lions, and uh, he did wrestle uh, one time in WCW, and he actually defeated Jeff Jarrett in a dungeon match on Nitro. Um, so uh, I might go look for that YouTube clip uh, later on. Uh, yeah, t I mean, the guy had tons of belts, had run as IC champion. I mean, he'd he done it all, and he did a lot of big matches but they never really went anywhere with him um uh back like in the 90s and that but he always he he, he was like in in the survivor series match um the match of uh the survival i think they called it and he was with hogan and warrior so to me that was kind of a nice nod from the wwe to recognize i mean he was a he was a workhorse um and then Rude, uh, he actually went to the same school as Tom Zink, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff, Kurt Henning, John Nord, and um, Barry Dorso. Uh, so, like, wow. Rude is built like a champion. But you know what? I, I got to give my vote to Santana because... Santana to me was the harder worker of the two. He in been in wrestling and still wrestles once in a while. Uh, he's a freaking machine and WWF loyal. So for me, that kind of, you know, I have to go with that, even though Rick Rude is probably the better performer. But Santana, I think, was the better wrestler. Um, and I'm I just wondering if those two actually ever went against each other. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm not uh, sure uh, if they did. Uh, definitely not in a major program. Um, for myself, when I first started watching, um, it was very slow. Uh, for me, I was watching, obviously, Savage and stuff like that. But one of the things that first caught my eye then was when Tom Zank left, 
the WWF and left uh, Rick Martel by himself. And he was getting beat up by the Islanders uh, constantly. And he needed somebody to back him up. And along came Tio Santana and here was Strike Force. I love that team that picked up the titles from uh, the Hart Foundation, dropped them to uh, Demolition at WrestleMania. And as uh, you pointed out, uh, though, uh, Chris Maloney, they broke up at WrestleMania 5 against the Brain Busters because Rick Martell had just came back from injury and they went in a different direction with him. He became basically almost, I'd say, sort of the gatekeeper um, for certain uh, level of guys, much like a uh, Steve Lombardi did, uh, Val Venus, Sean Waltman, all those guys. You'd have to, if you wanted to come in, you'd have to go through them to move up the card. And Tito was one of those utility guys that was kept around, uh, very loyal. Um, as Jonesy pointed out, he was in, I believe, all of the first nine WrestleManias. Uh, so he was consistent, it was a guy that they could rely on. Uh, but Away from Strike Force, in Strike Force was kind of vanilla as it was, but there was just something about them that it was awesome to look at and watch. Um, but he was kind of vanilla. Then you have Ravishing Rick Rude, and you know people are going to remember the fact that he had uh, got brought in and feuded them with Orndorff, as I mentioned at the start of the show. Uh, he moved then on to Jake the Snake Roberts and uh, was doing airbrush of Cheryl Roberts on his tights and everything that happened with uh, him and Jake. You'll have to hear Jake Roberts uh, live show to know what was happening behind the scenes. But yeah, it's interesting uh, the relationship they had. Uh, but then, you know, he had that a feud with Warrior turned into a feud with uh, Piper. Just things that were rememberable. I can't go back and say who Tito Santana had feuds with other than Rick Martel, and that didn't even get a payoff on pay-per-view. IAC champion, Valentine, that whole thing. <laughs> That's about it. Can you name another one? Like He put over Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Yeah, but that wasn't a feud. That was him being a loyal utility guy. <laughs> Uh, for Shawn Michaels, uh, one of his first uh, things as a heel. So, you know, they he was very useful. I, I will never knock Tito Santana. I like the guy. But when we're comparing just who did more and what, even though neither of them won the world title in uh, WWF, Rick Rude's run, even though it was only three years, was more rememberable. Uh, he did not. But who would make the better WWF champion? He would have made a good WWF champion as uh, a arrogant heel to any uh, babyface chasing him. But they didn't uh, pull that trigger for whatever reason because they lo were loving with Hogan. They loved Warrior, and Warrior didn't uh, bring in the fans like they had hoped for, and that's why he quickly went back to Hogan with Slaughter as a transition but rude was one of those guys that you could call on also to do a match with ultimate warrior because nobody else really wanted to uh he didn't like bobby Heenan as manager but it worked well 
Uh, my vote is uh, definitely for uh, Rick Root. So All right. Rick Root, moving on. One more note, though. Hold on. Uh, October 25th, uh, five days away from now, uh, 1988, uh, Tito Santana and Strike Force Gear fought Ravishing Rick Rude on uh, WBF Primetime. No, there you go. So there's a match out there on YouTube. Who was Rude's uh, partner? No, not a partner. Him, him against oh, Santana. Just a singles match. Yeah, but uh, you know, uh, Santana went for a while, even after Strike Force had broken up. Still rocking the strike for his gear, so that was uh, yeah, one of those he moments. Really was. He had his Mexican hat on in the back of his tights and the uh, lightning bolt on the other side. So that moves us to our next matchup and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Chris, well, I'll, I'll introduce these guys and everything, but I'm going. My my votes for Rhodes because Duggan he doesn't even deserve to be in this list, um, except for the fact that he did have incredible popularity. Um, who is uh, who is your pick? If you had to replace Duggan, who were you saying beforehand? If I had to replace Duggan, I have no idea. Bossman had come up. Yeah, I, I would. Bossman would be better than than Duggan. Because Duggan, Duggan again, he didn't. I don't think he needed a championship in in WWF. I mean, they said here have a royal, you know, the 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 first official Royal Rumble, but not the first Royal Rumble. He won the official first, but not the first. Um, but anyways, so um, Dusty Rhodes, of course, legend. Uh, Forty five is when he was born. Six foot two, two hundred and seventy five pounds. Uh, Duggan, we have at he was born in '54, six foot three, 275 pounds. Um, Duggan, with a little bit of more working out, he could have got a great physique, but chose you know chose just what he had. And Rhodes, even worse looking physique, but wow, could he go? So both of these guys could perform, but of course, Ru Ru uh, Rhodes was the better worker. Uh, he was trained by Joe Blanchard, uh, debuted in 67, um, officially retired from the ring in 2010, but he had few matches leading up to that. Um, oodles of NWA belts, uh, NWA times three. He had the U.S. belt, the TV, the tag team, the six-man uh, NWA. Uh, so the Hall of Fame in 2007, a bronze freaking statue. So... I mean, God, I can keep going. He's got Slammys, PWA, PWI Feud of the Year in 87, Matches of the Year, Most Popular Wrestler of the Year for three years. Uh, but he doesn't. He didn't rate high in the um, Best of 500 with the PWI coming in at 193. Uh and that was for 2001. Uh, Duggan is kind of interesting because PWI in the 93 best of 500, he was number 66. So holy shit, what kind of crappy wrestlers were <laughs> happening then? I'd like to see who was behind him. Um, so uh, he was trained by Fritz von Erich, uh, debuted in 79. Uh, he was a Royal Rumble winner in 88. Uh, WCW uh, in WCW, he had actually a better run. 
He had the, the U.S. belt and was the final holder of the TV champion. Uh, Duggan was more, to me, again, fit in WCW. I thought he was much better in WCW as far as entertaining and just fit their product. Uh, I think Duggan should have maybe got a little more, uh, like they should have tagged him up with someone and did a tag team run because the guy could sell himself. He was very good at that with very little wrestling skills that he showed. Uh, he, he was, he had amazing draw. Um, uh, his father was chief of police of Glen Falls, New York. He was signed by the Falcons, but released because of, it's funny, all these guys that have bad knee injuries and stuff like that. And then they go into wrestling. It's kind of what? Um, uh, and he was in a movie, Pro Wrestlers versus Zombies. Uh, and in this movie, he's fighting zombies using his two by four. I haven't looked up this movie. I just found this out today. So, um, and uh, he had two Slammys and a Hall of Fame in 2011. For me, it's, it's Rhodes. Uh, just because, I mean, what he did in NWA, he could have done similar in WWF, but it would never happen. Like, both of these guys, they would never have made champion no matter what. So I have to pick one. I got to go with the obvious choice, which is uh, uh, Dusty Rhodes, because I'd rather watch a Dusty match than a Duggan match. Yeah, so um, this is going to be 2-0 and right now for Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Duggan was sort of like, for me, JYD. Um, unfortunately, his better time was in Mid-South UWF with uh, Bill Watts. He was used as the, well, tough guy uh, type deal, the brawler, the guy that you wouldn't want to run into. Uh, you got the two by four uh, idea from, I believe, the movie Walking Tall, the original one, um, not the one with the rock, but uh, got that idea of carrying the two by four from that uh, instance. But then he got McManusized in a way, uh, became more of a character of himself, waving the red, white, and blue, which is great. Uh, but what did it do for his career? Uh, even turning to Team Canada in uh, WCW, yeah, still did nothing for him. Um, especially in WCW, he was definitely even lower uh, card than he was in uh, WWF. There was talk that he might have had a bigger push had he not been caught with uh, drugs, being pulled over with the Iron Sheik, who he was feuding with at the time in an era where kayfabe was everything and why is a baby face traveling with a heel and making it to their next town easy because they were on drugs that's what drugs does you ride with bad people exactly. <laughs> they could have done a they could have done a great drug message with that and where was that was that in wwf or ww it was wwf uh wow. that's why she got uh, the boot Duggan got the boot briefly, but then was brought back, uh, just told to cool his heels a bit, and then uh, got brought back in, and he feuded with DiBiase a bit and everything that happened with that, and then Andre. But, yeah, his WWF career really wasn't that spectacular. He was a 
cartoon character. Dusty Rhodes, yeah, unfortunately, whatever heat uh, was between him and Vince, uh, suffered the polka dots and got sapphire with them, but he was still Dusty Rhodes. They, everything he did in the NWA was not forgotten. Uh, he was better off uh, being in the South as opposed to working up North, but if given the opportunity and Hogan was out with a movie or whatever, Dusty could have been put in that position of one of the top baby faces to be uh, either chasing the title or wearing the title, depending on how long Hogan actually stayed away. I would have preferred that. And of course, as we also know in that time, anybody who came from the NWA uh, or WCW up to uh, Titan had to start lower unless your name was Ric Flair and work your way up. Dusty didn't stay around long enough and went back to being a booker in uh, WCW, but I would uh, definitely pick Dusty over Duggan. Sarah, I was just reading up about that article. It's it's interesting when you when you go and Google Duggan and uh, Sheik getting busted. Uh, the article actually comes up. So it was uh, May twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, they both got busted and suspended. Um, uh, Jim Duggan was only 33. I can't believe this. Iron Sheik in 1987 was 44 years old. He was old. Like Here's a guy. So you're talking 40, 41 years old when he dropped the title to Hogan. That's uh, He's still in and pretty rem- good shape. And remember, he was at that Centennial Hall show. Yes, he was. He wasn't in that kind of shape. <laughs> and Red Warrior Arena. He waddled down and did his weight thing and then left, I think. <laughs> yeah. Medway, I got to meet him in, uh, in Nikolai. There's a picture out there someplace. I got to see if I'm going to find it. But anyways, back to uh, Duggan and, and Rhodes. Uh, Duggan's one of those guys I will always remember for him for being king of the ring, uh, for getting busted with the Iron Sheik, of course, uh, for his feud with Andre the Giant and and uh, smashing the two-by-four over Andre and knocking him out, I think he did. Um uh, you know, Duggan was one of those guys who was all about the charisma, but championship material, he runs into that same category as, I'm going to put this, George the Animal Steel, who I know is coming up next, and as well as the Junkyard Dog, those type of guys who didn't necessarily need a championship, but were great to see on a card, you know, mid-card or openers or whatever the case may be. So Dusty Rhodes, it's a shame for what they had done to him. A lot of fans will remember him more for the polka dots. Uh, you know, Tommy Dreamer, even to this day, wears the polka dots in the ring to, you know, com- com- uh, commemorate uh, Dusty. But the fact is, this was a guy who was not made in the WWE. So hence the fact I think Sean had said when he came to the WWE, it's like, yep, you're starting from, uh, you know, the ground up because you're not. And, and you put it this way too, Sean, because he wasn't Nature Boy Ric Flair. You know what I mean? He didn't have pull. To me, as a hardcore wrestling fan, Dusty for everything he had done NWA. I would like to see him continue that when he got to WB. Uh, but you know, he feuded with Savage, but it wasn't the same type of feud he should have had. Uh, I think he feuded with Bossman, a couple other guys as well. But uh, uh, the American Dream, you know, his legacy could have carried the championship easily. But the fact is, again, when it comes down to it, it's during that Hogan era, during that Ultimate Warrior, that Savage area. You know, Vince's guys still be in there. So another generation, maybe. But like I said, Duggan versus Rhodes. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go. Rhodes. 
So it's a clean sweep for uh, Dusty and moves us on to match number seven of the first round. George the Animal Steel taking on King Harley Race. George Steele, born April 16th, 1937, died February 16th, 2017, at the age of 79, billed at 6'1", 275 pounds, debuted in 67, and was still active until his death. Uh, trained by Bert Ruby, who was also a teacher in uh, Michigan, um, PWI number 267 of the PWI years in 2003, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, Cauliflower Alley uh, Honoree in 2004, WAE Hall of Fame in 1995, Wrestling Observer. Now, this is going to explain where I'm going. Worst feud in 87 with Danny Davis. Worst tag team in 86 with JYD. And most embarrassing wrestler, 87 and 88. Now, titles, he did have a couple, not many. Uh, Superstars of Wrestling, Canadian uh, champion one time. National Wrestling Federation champion one time. Uh, Grande Wrestling Alliance champ one time. And Big Time Wrestling tag team champion one time with Cowboy Frankie Lane. Not much else uh, as far as titles. Maybe it's because he didn't need them or whatever. Uh, he eventually was at one point a heel. Um, and then he joined uh, WWE and was or WWF and was working with uh, Vince and was, I guess, talking a little too coherent for Vince's liking. And uh, he got scolded for how he was doing it. They read, uh, did a take on an interview and all George ended up doing was grunting and stuff like that. And just to go over the top and prove Vince wrong. And Vince was just like, Nope, that's what we're doing, pal. And that's how George Steele was just more a Neanderthal with a uh, fur coat for on his back, a natural fur coat at uh, that. And he became a face uh, on the first ever Saturday night's main event when he was in a six man tag team match with uh, Iron Sheik and Volkov as his partners and got abandoned, uh, I believe, against Ricky Steamboat and the U.S. Express. He got managed by Captain Lou Albano in 85 when that happened. Uh, he fell in love with Elizabeth in 86 and feuded with Randy Savage, trying to almost do like a King Kong and uh, the damsel in distress kidnapping Elizabeth a bunch of times. Probably his biggest match was against Savage at WrestleMania 2. We uh, talked about the fact that he helped Steamboat uh, get the title off of uh, Savage at uh, WrestleMania 3, and that was his involvement there, just being a ringside guy. Uh, in 88, he started carrying a stuffed animal called Mine, which is just a little furball thing with some gangly arms and shaved head, just like him. So that was available at the uh, merchandise or in the catalogs in the WDF magazine. Uh, he left in 1990 uh, during some uh, cuts financially uh, after he was uh, out of the ring and was just doing some agent stuff but then quickly got brought back and worked as an agent until uh, about 98, 99-ish. 
and he left. And after that, he made a couple of appearances in WCW, TNA, and even uh, back in WWF uh, on a reunion show before he passed away. And he's taking on the King Harley Race. Born April 11th, uh, 1943, died August 1st, 2019 at the age of 76. Six foot one, 253 pounds, debuted in 1960 and retired in 1990. He was trained by Buddy Austin, the Zabisco brothers, and Ray Hersuch. Uh, he's a Cauliflower Alley Iron Mike uh, Award winner in 2006, Luthas Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2005, NWA Hall of Fame in 2005, WWE Hall of Fame in 2004, WCW Hall of Fame in 1994, PWI Match of the Year in 73 against Dory Funk Jr., 79 against Dusty, 83 against Flair, Wrestler of the Year in 79 and 83. He was uh, King of the Ring winner in WWF in 86, and that's where we saw King Harley Race uh, happening. Uh, and then he ended up leaving and managing Vader in WCW after he retired. I think he also managed uh, Lex Luger once or twice here and there. Um, as far as titles, All Japan, NWA, United National uh, Belt one time, uh, World Heavyweight Champion one time, All-Star Pro, NWA World one time, AWA Tag Team Titles three times with uh, Larry Hennig, AWA Midwest uh, Tag Title once, Central States, NWA Central States Champion nine times, NWA World one time, Championship Wrestling from Florida, NWA Florida Tag Team Champion three times, NWA uh, Southern Champ one time, NWA US one time, NWA World one time, Georgia Championship Wrestling, World uh, champ one time, Georgia champ one time, uh, making uh, Georgia tag team champions one time, NWA world champion eight, eight times. Uh, so, yeah, just a lot going on with that. George Steele was a joke in WWE or WWF. Harley Race was not at his peak in WWF, but they at least acknowledged him to the fact that they allowed him to be named the King of the ring. Um, beyond that, you know, he had his uh, big match. One of his last matches uh, was against Hogan on a Saturday night's main event where he actually put himself through a table, trying to headbutt Hogan in an era where uh, tables were not used uh, often. He was out for a bit, came back and uh, King Haku was around at that time. He was trying to uh, be back in the Heenan family, but wanted his uh, crown back. They fought at a Royal Rumble, and Haku ended up winning. And that was one of the last times we ever saw Harley Race wrestle. If given the chance, and if he was at his best, he definitely would have been a WWF champion. So my vote is for Harley Race. There's never been a fantasy warfare tournament featuring the uh, toughest guys in the business, has there? Not yet. We could do it next week. You mentioned Harley Race, and then you mentioned Haku, and I'm like, man, if those two went at it toe-to-toe, Jesus, who would win? 
but we're talking legitimate tough guys. We're talking like the backstories and the stuff you hear outside of the ring, not Shawn Michaels getting beat up by six Marines or whatever the heck, you know, it was uh, stories like you, like you hear about Ming Haku and um, even Piper, you know, just, uh, and, and Jonesy had, had talked about uh, guys like Greg the Hammer Valentine. Like he's, he was one of those guys legitimately that I can't think of anything else he would have done in life other than being a wrestler. He just looks like a wrestler, you know? Um, I said all that because I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Dusty Rhodes, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, take those names, reverse them with George the Animal Steel, <laughs> Harley Race. It's the exact same thing. It's um, you've got uh, George the Animal Steel could never carry that championship. He was he was basically buckled by Vince McMahon, and then you've got Harley Race and all the accomplishments that he had accomplished prior to the King Harley Race character. Uh, Harley Race had once said that he didn't mind the Harley Race, the King Harley Race character. First of all, you get to hang out with Bobby Heenan. Second of all, you get to be on a national stage in 93,000 against the JYD at WrestleMania 3. But the thing is, he said a lot of fans remember that King Harley Race character. You know what I mean? So he wasn't, um, he didn't hate it. Where much you talk about George the Animal Steel and he kind of, his face kind of went sour anytime he had to play that performance. You know what I mean? So anyway, short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, King Harley Race uh, to move on here. Jonesy. Well, I love George Animal Steel. Um, some interesting uh, tidbits about him. Uh, do you know how he got the green tongue? Chlorette's breath mint. Green chlorette breath mint is apparently what he used. Um, he did, 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 did. Um, yeah, he, he was actually uh, apparently really good on a mic. Um, so he could have he could have passed as a champion if he had a different gimmick. Um, if we're going by George the Animal Steel, then Race gets it. But if we're going by George Steel, that could be polished up a bit uh, because he was a bad guy uh, when he first started. And he was a pretty good bad guy. He had tons of, of, of great feuds and some uh, brutal matches with like Gorilla Monsoon and... So I, I think that he he fits more of uh, an older WWE champion. I'd say if he was around maybe in the 60s, then definitely because he was a big guy. It wasn't like he was f super fat. He was just a big guy. So you put on those big ass pants on him to hide some of the, the, the weight then you got a guy that looks like he could kill anyone. Um, to me, George Steele would look more like a WWF champion, where Race, he's more NWA, he's gritty. Um, I don't see Race ever being a, a WWF champion, but could he pull it off? Absolutely. But at that time, again, he was broken Harley Race. Um, to me, it's a, in a way, it's kind of tough. Uh, I want to go with like uh, race, but a part of me wants to go with Steve, even though I don't think it matters now. But um, but hey, uh, but I have to go with race only because I can't imagine um, George the Animal Steel again. If we weren't talking Nine. about the animal, it'd be a little uh, better. Yeah, 
Uh, and in, in, in another couple little things about Steele, uh, he was in, of course, the movie Ed Wood. Uh, check it out. It's a wonderful film. Um, and the, he actually did a short film, uh, him and Greg Valentine, and it was called In Something Fishy. Uh, it was about two former wrestlers owning a fishing camp, and it was actually a pilot for a TV series that never happened. So um, I haven't Googled this either, but um, it, was called, it was called In Something Fishy. Okay. And and oh, we got I, I can see we got um our uh, uh um our our I can't even think of the word I'm looking for crack staff yes we got a crack staff watching uh, looking well he needs to take a time out from that at the moment because we're moving on to a final match of the first round with Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Don the Rock Morocco what do you got there Chris. Well, I'll go into it in a second here. What was the who was the the, the guy that we we're talking about who's fighting zombies? Apparently, that was oh, Duggan. Jim Duggan. Oh, Duggan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so when I need a break to watch some stuff, I I, I know where I'm going. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyways, yeah, we got um, interesting. It's I didn't know this until now. So six years difference between uh, Don Morocco and Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, Morocco. Born September 10th, 1949, uh, debuted 1970, retired 1995, so only 25 years. Um, I best know him for obviously the Magnificent Morocco. I think he was part of that infamous storyline with King Kong Bundy, uh, Splash and Hogan in the uh, the corner there. I think it was Morocco who was holding Hogan, uh, you know, face to face as Bundy had come up and set up the WrestleMania 2 match. Uh, Morocco was also the guy who took the infamous splash from Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Uh, you know, him and Fuji, the the um, the gimmick, so to speak. Uh, Fuji Vice, I think. Yeah, Fuji Vice, they called it. Uh, you go back and watch the skits on YouTube. It was absolutely uh, phenomenal because of the fact that it was um, – they went hand in hand. It was like Bobby the Brain Heenan and pretty much any one of his guys. Uh, Fuji Morocco were just, uh, you know, uh, something to see. It's like Heyman and uh, Lesnar, so to speak. But saying that Morocco, uh, besides that IC title, uh, he had won King of the Ring 1985, uh, inducted WWE Hall of Fame 2004, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame 2014, still currently living, 71 years old. Uh, apparently has uh, is still in Honolulu, Hawaii. Biggest thing about Morocco is the gimmick change. So he went from the magnificent one into uh, Don the Rock Morocco. And if you want to get the uh, the best version of that guy, um, check it out. I think it was WrestleMania 4 in the tournament. And he come out, and I think superstar Billy Graham was his manager. They had the whole rock and tie-dye thing. Morocco was just completely jacked. I mean, he took the magnificent Morocco and basically it looked like a 200-pound cruiserweight and then basically came out as this jacked 300-pound guy who you know, possibly could have made Hulk Hogan look small. And I think, was he was he on Hogan's team's uh, 87 Survivor Series? Yeah, he replaced uh, uh, Superstar. He was supposed to be part of it. Superstar was and got injured or... Whatever uh, was going on with him, uh, hip replacements, and uh, Morocco took his spot. Yeah, so if you want to see size comparison between those guys, and this, this was also a team that had Bam Bam Bigelow as part of that as well, Orndorff, and then I'm forgetting the the fifth guy uh, off the top of my head, but the fact Hillbilly is... Hillbilly Jim. Was it Hillbilly? 
There's no way that I, I get to Google that. I don't think it was Hillbilly, but 87 Survivor Series. Um, anyways, when it comes down to it, is this Morocco as a face? I could have seen him as WWE champion easily uh, because of the fact of who he had been associated with when, when they made him a face. As a heel, he just didn't have it. They, they, he had charisma, but it wasn't the over-the-top charisma uh, like guys like Rowdy Rowdy Piper and uh, even Mr. Wonderful had had. Um, and saying that, the other side of things, you've got somebody who uh, probably should have been, you know, passed away 20 times over at this point, and Jake the Snake Roberts. And I say that he's got his life together, so I can't say anything wrong about the guy. I've seen him in person quite a few times. Uh, you know, um, Jake the Snake, 65 years old, uh, basically debuted in 1975, officially retired 40 years later, so 2015. Um, he is part of that whole Austin 316 era. Without Jake the Snake, we might not see the current you know version of Austin existing in WWE history there. But um, Jake the Snake, with regards to Don Morocco, Jake the Snake was more versatile in the fact that he would go wherever he needed to go. Uh, so WWF, he was part of 86 to 92, WCW. Uh, returned to WWF that was 96-97 during the whole Stone Cold Steve Austin thing. Went to ECW, the independent circuits, uh, independent circuit, TNA wrestling. Second return back to the WWEs that was 2005-2014. And then presently as the manager to uh, Lance Archer there in AEW. Still relevant. And, you know, Jake the Snake, to me, is one of those guys that necessarily didn't need that title. To me, he's like the Harley race, the Dusty Roads. He carried himself, and he didn't have that legacy beforehand. Now, he, he'd come up mid-Southwise. I think Ted DiBiase, I think Duggan, and um, forgetting one of the guys who's – JYD, I think, was uh, part of that group as well when he had come up. But when you look at the whole uh, version of Jake the Snake Roberts in the WWE, going all the way from you know WrestleMania uh, with Wrecky the Dragon Steamboat to the WrestleMania with the Honky Tonk Man – um, you know, all the way into the whole Randy Macho Man Savage stuff. We're talking guy who was part of the WWE for like a very, very long time, seemingly as far as the history lines went. He's one of those guys that don't necessarily could have taken the title off of Hogan, but definitely could have taken it off of Savage. Definitely could have fought a guy like Ric Flair. Um, I would, I to me, I think it would be interesting to see Jake the Snake as WWE champion to see who they would have put up against him to see how he would have carried himself as a champion. But to my knowledge, Jake the Snake has never won a Royal Rumble. Uh, Jake the Snake's never won a championship in the WWE. Jake the Snake's never won King of the Ring in WWE. Um, came close, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it didn't happen. So I got to say vote-wise, and, and Sean looks like he's ready to show something, but I got to say vote-wise, I got to go Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, just to uh, go back to what we were talking about with uh, The Rock being a part of Hogan's team, um, we're doing research for November's uh, theme, but this was the original team, which had Superstar, Paul Orndorff, Hogan, Bigelow, and Ken Patera. Not Hillbilly Jim. Not Hillbilly Jim. You know that that picture, uh, the first guy is a Superstar. He actually looked like, uh, put it up again for a second there. I will. Doesn't he kind of look like the shark? <laughs> oh, now he looks like Harlem Heat. It's hard to see because I'm on this phone, so it's really small. Yeah. It's it's amazing you had him and Man, Hulk his Hogan. skin is so dark. <laughs> it, it, you know, all they needed on that picture 
was to throw in Big Papa Pump on the other side, replace Ken Vitera, but in the music <laughs> Papa Pump, and you'd have the old, uh, the current, and then the future all in that one pitcher. Yeah. So Jonesy goes well, to you. one vote for Don Morocco. You, you, you know, no, that, I, I, what do you mean, Morocco? I, I went Jake. You went Jake. My apologies. I thought you said Morocco. No, I said Jake the Snake Roberts. You can go back on replay. Yeah. It's all good. So Jonesy, one vote yeah, for Jake. Um, you know what? To make this fun, I'm going with Morocco. Um, Roberts definitely could do it on the microphone, uh, in the ring, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he didn't win Dick in in WWE. I mean, and he was there for a good chunk of time. Um, again, he probably didn't need it. Uh, obviously, he didn't look at him now. Um, but uh, did, 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 I was looking at one here. Yeah, he he is uh, he was an innovator though, because uh, one of the very first ladder matches um, is that that is recorded um, uh, is Jake against uh, I forget the guy's name, but uh, anyways, it's on the WWF uh, best of the ladder matches. <laughs> uh, but Morocco Morocco looked looks more like a, a champion, um, and. Again, it's kind of a flip-flop between do I go with who I would prefer to see or who WWF, it fit the WWFs back then. For me, Morocco would have been a fine champion. It's just too many other bigger guys, not bigger guys, but bigger as far as ego was in, was in front of him. But uh, I would buy Morocco as a champion over Roberts as far as just looking at it. A guy with a title? A Morocco with the world title, and then you picture Roberts with the title. You believe the Morocco one uh, over uh, the snake. So for me, I would I think Morocco fits the more of the WWF back then style. Uh, Roberts would have been great for the mid nineties, but uh, so for me, it's Morocco. Uh, the only time Morocco impressed me was when he was with Superstar Billy Graham and came to his rescue and uh, was mentored by him. Um, the WrestleMania 4 match, loved it as well. Um, but, yeah, really didn't capture me. Jake Roberts, I uh, mentioned his feud with Rick Rude over his wife Cheryl and stuff like that. Um, there was talk that Jake was supposed to have a match against Hogan, but it never happened. Um, once again, it could have been a Hogan shutting things down uh, situation. But we talked uh, two weeks ago with the great, one of the greatest heel turns. When Jake turned heel, that was a really good uh, move. He needed to do that. He could have been one of the top heels of the time, but behind people like Hogan, even Savage and Warrior, unfortunately, and Piper, uh, there was no way Jake was going to crack that uh, ceiling to become a uh, WWF champion unless he had turned heel on Hogan, and they never allowed that to happen. But had it uh, actually occurred, I don't know if he would have taken it from Hogan. Savage uh, versus Jake would have been uh, probably more even uh, time as well. But I would have liked to have seen 
what somebody like Jake Roberts could have done with the title. So Jake Roberts is moving on, and that brings us to our recap. Chris, Hold on. Before you go into some recap, I, I got some news. So uh, Jake the Snake Roberts fought Hulk Hogan for the WWF title. Uh, looks like uh, December 30th, 1986. So they have feuded before, and I think I've actually seen a match between the two of them. It was interesting because Jake actually looked like the type of guy that could have taken the title off of Hogan. Secondly, and uh, a little more uh, classier, is this. I just saw a beauty, thought I'd throw her a line. Good was sad, you can bet it's I don't want to get a strike, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I guarantee you will not get a strike on that one. That is the, uh, the trailer that's on YouTube for Something Fishy, sure enough, with George the Animal Steel. And uh, Greg Miller Valentine sitting there, so it uh, it actually does exist. Yay! Uh, two thousand and uh, looks like two thousand and eight is when it's from. So is the whole episode there? Uh, not that I've seen yet. That was just a three minute uh, kind of preview clip, but uh, the oh, picture okay. shows George the Animal Steel and Greg Valent Valentine talking on a bench. We got to find out what studio did that, and we need to send them <laughs> letters because we need that footage. It'll be fun. Uh, so, Chris Maloney, can you recap our first round? All right. So, see how good my eyes are here. So, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff um, went two to one over Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Uh, we got Rowdy Roddy Piper. That's going to be interesting. You get the uh, uh, two guys, uh, main event at WrestleMania 1, the tag team uh, going 3 0 over the JYD. Uh, 2 1 Superfly Snook over Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, 3 over uh, 3 0 over something fishy, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, 2-1 over Tito Santana. Dusty Rhodes, 3-0 over uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. King Harley Race over the other side of something fishy, George the Animal Steel. Uh, uh, that's 3-0 <laughs> as well. And then Jake the Stake Roberts, uh, interesting enough, going 2-1 over Don the Mar uh, Rock Morocco. And I will say this, on my piece of paper, I had Morocco picked first. So uh, another change in in, uh, in my opinion during uh, during my comments there. So. Bastard! In my case... Uh... The upsets came in the first uh, three, but Russ seemed to have uh, gone okay. Jonesy, any surprises on your end? I'm looking at that right now. Um, the only one that might be a surprise is uh, Henning. That he didn't make it to the second round? Yeah. Everyone else, I can understand why they didn't make it, even if I voted for them. So you get to start us off with the first matchup in this round, which is Mr. Wonderful taking on the hot Scott Roddy Piper. All right. Well, I'm trying to think which wrestler I've probably seen more of. Um, I'd say I've seen the, the last half of both of these guys' careers. Um, I mean, it, it, it's hard because even though Piper might be more entertaining on the microphone uh, and be able to bring up more heat uh, as, as a, um, if he's a bad guy, which I would see him more as a bad guy um, champion than a good guy champion. Uh, now, Orndorff. 
physically, he looks more like a champion than Piper. Uh, and ring-wise, too, he, he's a better wrestler. So it, it, it's kind of tough. Plus, I, I, lo- I mean, I love Rowdy Piper. Um, oh, it's awful to, to make this decision because I like Orndorff, too. But uh, you know what? If it's WWF, Orndorff would be it. But I'm going with my gut. Which is, oh man, oh, I, <laughs> you know what? I might regret it, but I'm going with Orndorff. Really? I'm going with Orndorff just because I seen as a kid, I seen him more uh, as a higher up guy than I did Roddy Piper because I seen more of the goofy Piper, not the serious Piper. So I have to kind of go with Orndorff because I see him more as a legitimate champion than a bad boy kid that Piper kind of perceived. Well, it looks like Chris Maloney is going to be the tiebreaker here because if Piper and Hogan could have gotten on the same page and Piper could have trusted Hogan, then we would have seen more of them against each other and maybe he would have gotten the title, but because they couldn't, we never did see it, but... I'm picking Piper. Yeah, so Mr. Hot Rod does advance. And, um, you know, it's it's funny. I don't think any one of us had mentioned in the original kind of uh, uh, Piper versus, who do you face, JYD, is the whole Cowboy Bob Orton factor, the, the, the ace, so to speak. You know, if Piper as champion would have ran into trouble, ace would have backed him up. You know, it's uh, that typical heel kind of faction manager. Uh, the... Piper and, and uh, Ace just had this chemistry about them. So going into a, a match with Orndorff, so to speak, championship, you know, it's, uh, yeah, Piper would have kept the title, you know, more easily because Orndorff wouldn't have done it with Heenan, you know. So it's, anyways, yeah, Piper's my pick. Okay. So Piper's moving on. And that brings me to Jimmy Superfly Snuka taking on the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. Um, I think we said earlier, Jimmy Snuka really didn't do too much. Um, didn't get near any titles. Uh, as Chris Maloney pointed out, Ted DiBiase, he at least, uh, created his own title, bought a title and was tag team champion. Um, even got a King of the Ring win, uh, in 88. Just the attitude uh, and character of, uh, Ted DiBiase, I'm going with him over Snuka. Yeah, so it'll be Million Dollar Man versus Rowdy Ready Piper next round, uh, which is going to be a toughie for me. And like I said, uh, previous round, just Million Dollar Man, even without that championship, carried himself like a champion. Um, same way Nature Boy Ric Flair does. So. And Nick Bockwinkle. Bockwinkle as well, yeah. Just uh, three guys right there that just uh, carry themselves like champion through and through. Jonesy, is it a sweep? You see, I struggle more than you guys on this because, you know, the old WWF, Snooker would be a champion over DiBiase because Snooker looks like a champion where DiBiase looks like a gas attendant who decided to be a wrestler, comparing the two. Um, Snooker, especially once... 
whether he played the bad savage or a good savage um, character, like a jungle savage that he was supposed to be, uh, Snuka to me is more championship quality of the WWF then. Uh, yes, DiBiase would make the better champion as far as having to watch matches and all that, but uh, I'm going with Snuka. I, I'm it's that what would have been in the WWF because I'm not, I don't have a magic wand. So my choice, I can't make this stuff happen. What would have happened then? If you went back in a time machine and took Hogan and freaking just drop kicked him and he was gone out of the universe, picking between Snooka and DiBiase, it's, it's, it's Snooka. Shaka Shaka Bra. Okay, well, it's a 2-1 uh, for that one, which moves us to our next matchup, Ravishing Rick Rude against the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, and that is Chris Maloney. So, simply put, you've got Ravishing Rick Rude in the three years he was there against the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, who was not the American Dream. He was basically polka dots. Uh, Rick Rude, uh, hands down. You see what I struggle here with? No, Rick Rude. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, God, no. Yeah, so, yeah, just the Dusty was unfortunately a shell of himself. Uh, Rick Rude had more for him. Uh, did definitely come off more as a WF guy than Dusty did. So it's a sweep there, uh, which brings us to Jonesy going with King Harley Race versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Now this one is 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 tough because Race in the WWF still looked like a badass. I mean, he looked like a freaking grumpy mob boss. Um, so I, I'm going with Race on that because. You know he could do it on the mic. You know he you could he could do it in the ring. Yes, he wasn't the same race then, but he still at least looked like it. And when you consider Hogan's style of wrestling, him and Race could have decent matches together because neither one of them was like could do huge moves, but with the technical that Rhodes, sorry, uh, that Race had, and we know that Hogan was a technical wrestler you watch some of his earlier stuff he does a lot of uh, different moves actual wrestling moves even his leg drop he did differently it was the same leg drop but he he did it in a different position if you watch his earlier stuff and then he changed it i actually liked it the way it he did it originally which was basically take how he did it and flip at 180 and that's how he used to do it um and so for me I, I gotta go with race on this one even though roberts is great and all that again back then wwf i think race would have been fine to fill in the hole for a year or two yeah i'm going to go with uh harley race just because of the career uh that he had versus uh jake however I don't know if he's going to make it to the finals just because Harley was uh, basically like Dusty. 
bit of a shell of himself compared to what he was in the NWA. But I'm going with uh, Harley Race advancing. Is it a sweep for Harley, or does Jake get a nod? No, Jake gets a nod, so 2-1. There we go. So, as we venture into the third round, Chris Maloney, you want to quickly tell us how the second round went? I'm looking at my sheet. There's a lot of scratch-outs here. I don't, I don't like this too much. <laughs> but anyways, we've got uh, Roddy Roddy Piper taking the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Um, it's going to be a little bit tougher for me than the second one. you got Ravishing Rick Rude taking on uh, King Harley Race. So it's going to be interesting. But, um, yeah, two of the uh, members of the Heenan faction busting my chops in this one. So uh, we'll have to wait and see where this goes. Okay. So that does take us to the first matchup of the third round. Piper versus DiBiase. Um Once again, just the way these guys went, at least DiBiase was willing to do, uh, able to do business with Hogan. Um, and Chris Jones pointed out that after WrestleMania three, Piper was a fun guy. He was the comedy guy. He was a baby face and nobody really saw him go back to heel. Ted DiBiase in his second run in WWF. Uh, was pure heel the whole time. Even after his neck issues, he be, did the Million Dollar Corporation and was a heel manager. Not a very good heel manager, mind you, but he was always a heel. Now, in real life, he's found religion and is a different man, but Ted DiBiase was the good heel to go after the title and be a champion. In the vein is what we said of a Ric Flair and a Nick Bockwinkle. He just didn't get the chance to. I'm going with Ted DiBiase. So uh, I'll tell you this. Ready, ready, Piper. Top five as far as all-time wrestlers for me goes. But this is where it ends for him. Um, I had the opportunity here in London, London Gardens, him versus Nature Boy Ric Flair, title versus title in a steel cage. It was absolutely <laughs> I had, I, I had, you got to tell me about that one day because I was working the Western Fair and that night, the whole night, I'm like, I'm missing Ric Flair and Rowdy Piper in a steel cage in my hometown. And I'm stuck working at an awesome fair that I love. Yeah. I remember cutting up all my old wrestling magazines just to get a, a, a Bristol board poster to take with me and had taken the, I think the world championship and put it on Piper just in one. Anyways, it's uh, it was a pretty cool moment, but Piper and Flair, I had no idea about the history back then, but to me, it was just, uh, I love Piper, but million dollar man, Ted, uh, Ted, uh, Ted DiBiase, DiBiase could have easily carried the title for a year where Piper uh, heel or face would have been greatest champion, but not against DiBiase. So I got to go DiBiase with this. If we were talking much earlier 80s then piper would get my vote on this but dibiase yeah uh, what you guys said ditto man ditto okay so that brings us to our other semi-final and chris maloney rubbish and rick rude versus king harley race ravishing rick rude all the way dream match right there for the title ravishing rick versus ted dibiase that would be phenomenal 
Jonesy. Uh, hmm. I want to say race, but before I say it, I just want to check. Because Rude is a good wrestler, and, I mean, he had the the champion in WCW. He was the recognized champion or whatever the hell it was. So, hmm. It's the it's it's the 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 age. If I would have seen race more of his stuff than rude, but you know what? I'm I'm gonna go with race to give him a chance uh, because again, a younger race against DiBiase that would that would be I'd rather see that match than rude against DiBiase personally, um, just because race is an outsider. Uh, uh, Compared to Rude. So I, I'm going to go with Race. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to keep talking too. <laughs> I would agree yeah. with you that Race versus DiBiase would be a really good match, especially with their technical skills and everything that they both uh, possess. But once again, in WWF, Race was not at his peak. Uh, so, and this I did. Really Imagine him at his peak. He's awesome. <laughs> But he came across rather bland. Uh, I didn't even find him being a badass heel at all. Um, I am going to go with Rick Rude to meet Ted DiBiase in the finals. As you see right there, that's where we're heading. Uh, so before we get into it, any surprises? Who would you have? Orndorff. You would have seen Orndorff uh, get to the finals? No, Orndorff was a surprise. I was hoping to see Mr. Perfect go ahead. Oh, you would have. Okay, so anybody in the first round that eliminated, would you have seen Hennig in the finals? Can you imagine Hennig versus Rick Rude in the finals? Minnesota. Yeah, the, the loyalty those two guys had to each other outside of the ring. But so, would, I mean, would uh, Hennig have beat Ted DiBiase in the semis? Oh, now you're talking like that. That video game series, you know, when the uh, the Legion of Doom were the champions. Yeah, the WrestleFest. I'm gonna have to go back and play that and see if I can beat up Million Dollar Man with a uh, Mr. Perfect in the Royal Rumble RJ City style. So there you go. I'm still looking to find a way of getting that game and playing it again. I spent so many quarters so when I was 16 playing it. Um, Hold on. Yes, it, that, that is a public service announcement to anybody young who's listening. We actually used to have to go to a mall, to an arcade, and put quarters in a machine to be able to actually play video games. Okay, so, I will. So I will source uh, the the joystick machine that you need. It's probably about anywhere between 150 and 250 bucks, and it comes with that game plus a shit ton of others. I'm just gonna get someone else to source it for me. Um, anyways, that game I walked by today when I went to the bathroom at the Sky Lawn and the basement is completely shut down. All the arcade machines are off and it's so sad. Uh, I played the Sky Lawn. And the wrestling one is right there that I used to love playing there, but that screen is so bad. Um, I hope they get it refurbished at some point. If not, I want to buy that beast. It'd be an awesome piece of history to have. So, that and Steamboat me- is the one I I would see in the final. You could have seen Steamboat in the finals. Yeah, that would have been a uh, upper. Remember the Steamboat Rude matches in WCW? They were amazing, just like Steamboat in uh, Austin. 
There yeah. wasn't many guys that Steamboat couldn't have a good match with. As I said, his wife was his uh, biggest enemy. So, Jonesy, our finals has Ravishing Rick Rude taking on the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, and you get to start it off. Again, the, the only thing I, I um, uh, struggle with in this one is WWF or not. Uh, as far as, like, Rude to me is more WCW. Uh, when he went to WCW, uh, I think it was the best thing for him. Uh, he became what he could have been in, in WWF. Uh, where DiBiase is more of a WWF character, uh, where Rude, he he was a different, he was the same, but he didn't, I don't know, he came off less cartoony in WCW than he did in WWF. So, I mean, either guy would fit in. But, you know, uh, if, if, yeah, if Bobby was with Rude, if Bobby Heenan was with Rude, then I'd go with Rude. So I'm, my vote's going to go with Rude because it's fantasy and Bobby's going to be there right beside him. So Rude. Okay. Um, see, you just convinced me the one way. <laughs> I, I was on the fence thinking about it. But when you said Rude's career was better in WCW – I would tend to agree because he didn't have to deal with the ultimate warrior, his career. He had better matches in WCW, uh, basically uh, whether he was with Medusa and Heyman compared to Heenan. I think he was more comfortable with a Paul Heyman uh, being a Paul Heyman guy than a Heenan family member. Uh, people know that he wasn't really a fan of Bobby's Uh Shockingly enough, Bobby does have some people who did not like him, including Tony Schiavone. But given that and what we saw later on with a JBL getting it, Teddy Bassey should have been a shoe-in to have that belt. So for me, it is Teddy Biassi. God, he said that like, like he was threatening you, uh, Maloney. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Maloney, it's your pick. See, I, I, for, for those people on audio, wouldn't be able to see that, but uh, I'm making the uh, the money signal, so to speak. The thing is, money, money, with money. regards to DiBiase, he was the one guy who triumphed Hogan, and he did it through Andre. He's the one guy who went, hey, I can't beat this guy on my own, so how am I going to do it? And him as a champion, he would have came up with those scenarios to keep that title. So he's a million dollar man. You could put him on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown today and he'd fit right in. And uh, we talked about Alberto Del Rio. We talked about uh, JBL. And without the million dollar man, you wouldn't have those characters. So yeah, Ted DiBiase. There we go. So Ted DiBiase is our winner for this uh, week's tournament. We are. That's bull crap. <laughs> we're still trying to figure out i think uh the three of us are going to talk uh later on or tomorrow about where we're going next week legitimate tough guys i like that one we're probably going to do tough guys uh so we'll get our list together um, we, we've got to have backstories behind it though we've got to have stuff to back them up 
Yeah. So we're going to do our research next week. Will be legit tough guys. So who would actually take it? Uh, we already mentioned guys like uh, Race, uh, Valentine, uh, Haku. Probably throwing in a Steiner or two. Uh, probably a uh, Doctor Death, and maybe we'll a Butterbean. Maybe a Butterbean. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see about that. Uh, but Danny Davis, I heard was Death. Just including him. But so yeah, we'll work on that list. And next week it'll be legit tough guys who would actually win in a real or our fantasy warfare brawl for all uh, version. And who would come out on top? So maybe it's going to be Brawl for All Fantasy Warfare. But oh. for November, we're, I'm looking to put together a 64 team or 64 bracket of the greatest uh, Survivor Series teams of all time. And uh, then December is going to have uh, mid cards. So your NWA uh, US champion. WWE US Champion, WWF Intercontinental Champion, and WWE Intercontinental Champions, all 64 uh, doing that one. So uh, November and December are pretty much uh, figured out to a certain extent. We'll figure out the uh, actual entrance uh, to those, and that will be those two months. But next week we are coming back with the greatest tough guys. Before we uh, go, because we're already, already two hours, just with the rich history here, Chris Maloney, you got anything to promote? Uh, I can't promote the Patriots, even though I'm rocking the hat. They got their butts kicked by Denver. Jeez, one in three. That's almost as worse as losing to the Raiders, which didn't happen. But uh, um, I tell you this. So <laughs> I'll tell you this. So this airs on Wednesday. Uh, you guys do scumbags on Thursdays and then basically CW1 on Fridays. Uh, there is a big announcement coming up this coming Friday. Uh, Sean, you want to be part of it. If you're available, I will send you a link because uh, it has to do with you as well. Um, and then next week as well, there's a, another huge announcement. But it's uh, I have referred to it on CW1 Weekly. Uh, so you check it out, cwnonline.ca. But uh, big news coming up this week and next week. So hopefully Sean's be able to be a part of it. But if not... Uh, I'll put up a graphic of maybe just a, a circle inside of a black square there. So uh, we'll have to do it up. Uh, maybe, hey, you know what we'll do? I'll find that picture of you on your uh, the guy's weekend and you in that Smurfette shirt. That'll be the graphic pick right there. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Scumbags Wrestling uh, Thursday, 8 p.m. Uh, Jonesy, uh, you're with us. What do you uh, bring to the show? Oh, nothing really. Um, uh, uh, let's see. I, I'm what I would like to plug is I'm looking forward to Thursday the um, round round two of Donald Trump and Biden. Now that's going to be an awesome battle. Slobber knocker. It is, and and they that's have reinstated. They have reinstated the microphone mute uh, uh, feature for this. Excellent. Maybe it'll be better. Uh, so, yeah, Jonesy also does join us for This Week in History, and so we'll do that. And, uh, yeah, all the things uh, down below, how you can reach out to us, uh, Scumbags Wrestling. Uh, be sure also to get your uh, T-shirt, $30 uh, for the T-shirt, $15 for the poster. All money is going to Sick Kids Hospital in 
Toronto uh, on behalf of Stephen's Wrestling Journey and uh, Kerry Malformation uh, Research. So check out our uh, page over on Facebook. And until next week, have a great one. Mm-hmm.